There's a time and place for everything, and that includes emotion and intimacy. Most of the time, it's clear when we can show emotion and wear our heart on our sleeve. But sometimes, especially in professional environments, it can be more challenging to know how to respond when a clear need for empathy presents itself. We want to connect as human beings while still respecting boundaries. What's a healthy way to walk that line with people that we care about? Welcome to episode seven of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host Beth Below, and it is really good to be with you. In this episode, we'll be exploring the role of empathy in communication and relationships with my guest expert Grace Judson. If you enjoy this podcast, I'm delighted to share that you have a new way to keep the goodness coming your way. You're invited to subscribe to a weekly newsletter I'll be publishing starting October 10th. Each newsletter will share practical communication tips and resources that you can use in every area of your life. The content will be short, to the point, and often reinforce or expand on that week's podcast episode. To say thanks for subscribing, you'll receive a link to download the specially produced document. How can I say this? Tips for giving and receiving feedback. You'll find a link to subscribe on the main page at howcanisaythis.com. And while you're there, consider submitting a question for a future episode. I want this podcast to be about what's important to you and what you want to know, and your questions will help me with that mission. I'm pleased to welcome Grace Judson to the show. Grace is a leadership coach and consultant focusing on first-line and recently promoted managers and supervisors, helping them cross that daunting gap between being part of a team and leading a team. Drawing on her 25 years of corporate experience, including 16 years of executive leadership plus 13 years of leadership coaching, Grace works with individuals, teams, and leaders to develop their skills, helping them become the empowered leaders they want to be. And that their teams deserve. She points out that she's not as old as all those years of experience might indicate. After all, she started her career as a two-year-old, turning her parents' faces toward each other when they argued, wanting them to see each other instead of fighting. That was the beginning of her lifelong quest to understand what makes people tick, and what makes a good or even great leader. You'll find links to connect with Grace, as well as resources we mentioned in this episode, at howcanisaythis.com. Hi, Grace. Welcome to How Can I Say This. I, um, I've had you as a guest on my other podcast, and so I'm looking forward to talking with you in this new venue. <laughs> I am delighted to be here. I'm looking forward to talking with you in this new venue. I'm, I'm really excited about what you're doing here. I've listened to the previous episodes, and I think you've got some great stuff going. I'm certainly honored to be one of the guests, given some of the previous guests you've had already. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you were tops on my list of people to have on sooner rather than later. So I'm so glad we were able to make this work. Yeah. Well, I want to cover a couple of topics during our time together, but I want to start out with empathy. Because <laughs> that's one of the first ways that we cross paths. I read one of your, your posts on empathy and just found it very intriguing. So I'd love for you to talk for a couple of minutes about how you define empathy and why is it important in communication? Yeah, uh, empathy is one of those concepts. I'm not even going to say words, but concepts that a lot of people have a lot of different, you know, their own individual and therefore a lot of different definitions for it. 
Uh, I think that it can get challenging because people think of it as sort of going into the depths um, with someone, and that may or may not be what they actually want to do. It also can get confused with being empathic, which I class as a whole different thing, really. So empathy is about understanding the other person well enough that you actually get why they do what they do and say what they say. Now, that's a pretty global definition. So for the purposes of a day-to-day interaction, it would be what's going on with them in this specific interaction that is causing them to respond or react the way they are. And when you know that, when you get to that level of understanding, you not only forge a much deeper connection with the person so that they are much more open to listening to you and understanding what you have to say, but you also gain a great deal of information that you can use in having the conversation, whatever that conversation is. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like empathy can be learned or is it you know, is it nature or nurture or some combination? <laughs> I, I would say a combination. I think there are certain people who are naturally empathetic. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at some of the Myers-Briggs types, if you look at introverts, I know that introversion is one of your favorite topics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think there is a natural skill or talent for certain people. And yes, I absolutely think it can be learned. If you look at the work of people like Alan Alda, who we all know, or at least those of us old enough, know from the MASH series. <laughs> I know, I, I stepped Uh-oh, into that we're one. showing our age. <laughs> but he has, for the last 10 or 11 years now, been doing work with teaching scientists and medical professionals to using empathy to communicate with the, with the rest of us human beings. <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he talks about how to learn. He's one of a number of people who talk about how to learn to be empathetic. So yes, absolutely. Yeah, I I saw I think he was interviewed on uh, my new favorite podcast, Hidden Brain. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to include a link to that. Um, I've not listened to it yet. But I was very intrigued. And I, and I'm glad you brought him up because it is, you know, further evidence that yes, it is a a skill, it's a muscle that we can strengthen. Mm -hmm. Even if we feel like it doesn't come naturally, there are ways to cultivate it. Yes. And and he talks about some of those ways. He's got a book that's been out for a few years now with the brilliantly funny and at the same time intelligent title, If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? Right. <laughs> and he also just yeah. started a podcast, actually. So, yeah, he's he's doing a lot of stuff in this space. And um, he's only one of many. I mean, I just... Mm-hmm. Mention him because you had talked about being able to learn empathy. Yes, yeah. And and really quickly to follow up on your point about it's different than empathic. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us the distinction? I think that people who are empaths um, really take it to a deeper level. And, and you could say that they might fall into the class of highly sensitive people. And I'm not an expert on this by any means. I'm just sort of giving you my off the top of my head opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that empaths are at the far end of the spectrum of people to whom empathy comes very naturally. So much so that they really can get sucked in. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and there are, you know, at that point, there are practices and necessary ways of setting boundaries. I think we all need to have appropriate boundaries, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I think that for empaths, there is that additional level. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for for that. Because the the words are absolutely connected. And it is important to make that distinction, because somebody could say, well, I'm not an empath, you know, and and not realize that that doesn't necessarily just mean they have empathy. It's like you said, that deeper level. Right. Well, one point that you have been spending some time talking about is the difference between personal empathy, which I might feel in a friendship, at least that's the way I'm interpreting it, and professional empathy that I might have in a professional situation with a colleague or a client. Can you tell us about the difference between those things? Absolutely. And this is something actually that I talk about a lot with clients in working with them in, in a professional setting. And because a lot of times when I talk about empathy related to leadership and related to the workplace, people would get a little, you know, sort of deer in the headlights or, <laughs> and are like, you know, no, you really don't have to go to the same levels that you would with, you know, a friend who is having a major problem, you know, somebody who's had a close, a loved one pass away or has mm -hmm. a serious diagnosis or lost a job or, you know, some of the real life crises that we can go through that really do demand a very conscious effort to show empathy and to be present with somebody and to support them. That's clearly not appropriate in a workplace. Now, we may have friends in the workplace, and then, you know, that's a different thing, and, and drawing those lines between friendship and professional relationships are, is, a, is, you know, a part of how we conduct ourselves in the workplace. And when it comes to professional empathy, really, again, it's the ability to understand and share the feelings or comprehend the feelings of someone else within the work environment. I see it as essential for things like providing effective constructive feedback. Mm -hmm. So if, if you have an employee and you need to give them constructive feedback about something that they may not be doing exactly right or you want them to, a skill you want them to develop, to understand who they are and how they best receive that feedback because everybody receives feedback a little differently. That is part of what I would call professional empathy. How to motivate and engage different people because again, they're all different. Mm -hmm. um, how to help someone overcome resistance to change because that again has to do with understanding well, why are they resisting the change? So I hear that it's um, it's less about emotion. Like I, I think of emotion as being part of personal empathy. Like you said, somebody's going through a crisis and you are um, supporting them emotionally. And professional empathy sounds more like you are meeting that person where they're at and you're taking their needs into consideration when you are considering how to give feedback, how to give recognition, um, how to motivate that person it sounds like it's kind of like you're seeing them as individuals and treating them as such. Absolutely. Um, I was on a panel uh, last week uh, discussing different aspects of leadership. And one of the things that uh, one of the people on the panel with me was a senior um, executive at Walmart, since I'm here in the heart of Walmart country. We tend to have a lot of Walmart people mm -hmm. uh, on panels and at conferences. 
And the point that he made and that I absolutely supported was that we have to lead from a perspective of individuals, whether that means you're leading a team, a company, a family, uh, a group of friends, whatever it is, we have to look at everybody within a group as individuals. I would not necessarily agree that it doesn't include emotion because I think that mm-hmm. really everything we do does. True. You know, we can't make decisions. Yeah. They've proven, the brain science has proven for decades that we can't, when you're disconnected from your emotional processing centers, you can't make decisions. And when it comes to leadership and it's when it comes to many things in the workplace, it's a lot of gray area, which means that a lot of subjective i.e. in my world at least emotional um, perspectives have to be taken into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. How would emotions show up differently in a professional environment than a personal situation? (laughs) I'm not sure it does except that I think we squelch it a lot in the professional environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one of the things that I talk about when I talk about leading change is that people may be having a complete meltdown inside. Mm You know, they may be afraid of losing their job or they may be afraid of failing at, at, at new requirements of their job because of the change. Uh, and there's a lot of emotion going on and a lot of, you know, what after all is stress, mm-hmm. but an emotional reaction to what's going on. So I don't really think we can say, okay, well, here's emotion in the workplace and here's emotion uh, outside the workplace. I think how we handle it, both for ourselves and in what we see in other people will tend to vary between the two. But I don't think the feelings themselves, I mean, feelings are pretty primitive things. Yeah. And where we, like you said, we often squelch the very human emotions that we have, whether that's disappointment or anger or joy, all of those things we tend to kind of keep in check Mm-hmm. When we're in a professional setting, um, thinking that it's just not appropriate to express them. So I hear you saying that it's it's about mm-hmm. not squelching them and not just like letting it all hang out, <laughs> but finding a way to I, I go back to the word vulnerability. You know, there's vulnerability in expressing any of those mm-hmm. emotions right. and how you express it in the workplace might be a little bit different than personally. But the point is that vulnerability is part of what connects us to other people and builds relationship and builds empathy. And so it seems like, yeah, that would be an important part. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it also comes down to what is the culture in the workplace? Is it a safe place Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable or not? And, you know, in any situation, there are varying degrees of, um, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say intimacy. Mm -hmm. Because in a workplace, the intimacy scale is low and therefore the extent to which, as you say, we'll let it all hang out is also low. With a close friend or a family member, um, you know, family members obviously depending on our relationship with them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we will have a higher degree of emotional intimacy and therefore a greater willingness to be vulnerable and to really get to the deeper aspects of, of what we're experiencing emotionally. Yeah. So it's a continuum based on the appropriateness within any given situation. 
Yes, good point. Good point. Yeah, you have to take the culture into consideration as well and how safe it is. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I've worked in organizations back before I went you know, off on my own. I worked in organizations where it was really not safe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm happy to say that I have friends who have told me that they really uh, appreciate and enjoy the culture that they're working in and that it is safe there. So I think that it is one of the signs of a more mature world, if you will, that despite Mm -hmm. some of the things that are going on right now, there really does seem to be a greater willingness within many organizations, large and small, to focus on safety. I heard a podcast interview recently on, um, what was it? Oh, it was on Oprah's Super Soul Conversations of, and I am going to completely blank on the guy's last name. It's Jeff. Uh, anyway, he's the CEO of LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And he talks about compassion in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, not that dissimilar or far removed from what we're talking about. So exactly. there just seems to be a greater recognition of, of the fact that we're, you know, humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> Breaking news. All right. Newsflash. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's not just that we're humans, obviously, but it's what that actually means. Yes. Yeah. And recognizing that in order to be happy, what, however you define happy, we have to bring our whole selves to work, to home, to, to every part of our lives. Yes. And anytime we check any part of that at the door, both we lose yes. out and the, the people that we're with, whether they're colleagues or friends. Right. And the organization within an organization. Yeah. And itself loses out. And Absolutely. You know, again, it's, it's a continuum in terms of how we show up because we will show up differently in different places, but there's still that sense of the whole being. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to pivot and um, get your take on something that is a carryover from episode two. This is a listener question that my guest Laurie Helgo and I responded to. The listener wrote in that she said uh, she was repeatedly telling a client no about something and the client was ignoring her and continuing to ask her to do work that she had no time for. Well, I heard back from the listener that she thought it was great advice. And yet when she tried to do it, she ran into some challenges. So she shared a little bit more backstory that wasn't included in her original question. And it turns out that that client was a former colleague and a current friend, (laughs) which, of course, throws, you know, uh, a new dimension into things. She thinks that maybe she hadn't established proper personal and professional boundaries, kind of to go back to what we were talking about at the start of our conversation, um, from the beginning, and it made it difficult to course correct now. And I think that boundary setting can be challenging for that naturally empathetic person, Um, As we see that trait, as we were saying before, as part of a friendship, but feel like we have to set it aside in a professional setting. And I know from having heard from her again with a little bit more detail, um, she says that she's thought about this since the podcast aired and, and had conversations. And she's thought about more of her professional relationships and that she's realized that when clients share good news with her, she follows up. But they're very different than the conversation she has with friends who might share good news, like, my daughter is pregnant. She has a very different reaction depending on if it's a friend or a colleague or a client. Mm -hmm. And what she was noticing with this particular client, since they were both friend and, and colleague, she was allowing 
herself to respond more in friend mode. That set a precedent and it made shifting to business mode that much more challenging. So she's now she's recognizing uh, the difference between how she can respond in those situations. She wrote, she said, um, I wish from the very beginning that I had understood the dangerous waters I was treading. I should have said when the topic got personal, I'd love to talk about that. Let's have coffee soon and gone back to discussing business. And and I thought, yeah, that's how how can I say this? That's a great way to say it. Mm-hmm. Respecting the personal share while trying to draw that distinction. So I, I'll stop talking now because I want to hear <laughs> if you have any kind of follow up thoughts on that, especially about that boundary setting that listeners can use to help them if they find themselves in the same situation. Well, I think she, I mean, it sounds like she took the advice that was given in that previous podcast and really carried it out and extended it very well. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think she's spot on in saying that when you have that kind of two-sided relationship where there's the client stuff going on on the one side and the friend stuff going on on the other side, keeping the conversation separate uh, can be crucial. And so she's very smart to have made that observation. When we come to the question of boundaries, I think there are a lot of people who empathy does not mean you become a doormat. <laughs> and I think, again, that's one of the things that people get anxious about when, when we talk about empathy is that if I really understand this person and I, you know, really get where they're coming from, I understand what things in their history or in their current situation are causing them to have the reactions that they're having and to feel the things they're feeling, then I'm going to, you know, do a 180 degree turn and I'm going to agree with them and I'm going to, you know, jump in there with them and want to want to make everything okay and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. That really isn't empathy. That's codependency, I think. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's rescuing. rescuing. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I have a, a friend who has some colleagues who are going through some very difficult situations. And um, she said to me the other day, you know what, I really have to remember that although they share some experiences, you know, they share some of these difficulties, the others, they're difficult. I don't want, I can't say too much, so I'm being probably impossibly vague here. But um, their situation is not mine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they get to keep their situation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a really important point because boundary setting is not selfish, Boundary setting is clarity for everybody about what isn't, isn't okay. And if I let somebody walk on me because I think that that is, you know, being empathetic and caring, um, well, not really because it can be enabling. It can, it can be letting somebody continue to roll around in their own goo. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can be denying myself the need to have support for myself because I'm so busy helping other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So boundaries are actually a very caring thing to have in a relationship rather than uncaring. And 
you can set boundaries in a very empathetic way. You know, I get that, whatever, and this is this is my red line in the on the, in the ground here. I'm not going to cross this. I I don't do this. You know, the other thing about lack of boundaries is that it can lead us into betraying our own values. Yeah. And that's really not good for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I'm imagining this person sitting down with their client who is a friend and former colleague, and they're having their initial conversation, like setting the agreement for how they're going to work together, um, how might she phrase the, you know, her her thoughts on establishing boundaries? I'm not actually sure that it necessarily has to be stated out loud as long as she is really clear on it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like she's achieved that clarity at this point. You know, I think that if we're going to work with friends, which many of us do, whether as a client or in the workplace, we have to recognize that there is work over here and we're going to be professional colleagues there. And there is friendship over here, and we're going to be friends there. And to be very intentional and conscious about where those lines are crossed, so that if I'm in a work setting with someone, I'm not going to go into a discussion about personal stuff. And if I'm in a personal conversation, you know, about life or, you know, whatever's going on in my personal life, I am not going to bring in complaints about work or, you know, because that that crosses a boundary for me. Now, for other people, maybe not. Boundaries are very personal and individual. And the biggest problem, I think, is that people don't get intentional about them. They don't think about it. They only know that something doesn't feel right and then turn around and realize, oops, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't set appropriate boundaries here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to push this just a little bit because I, I'm curious, like, OK, so if you find yourself in that situation and you have that awareness, say you've got the boundary, but the other person doesn't. And they're saying, I can't believe that my you know teenage daughter is not coming home until midnight and I don't know what to do. And I know we're here to talk about the agenda, but I just have to unload on this. And you as the listener know okay, no, (laughs) you know, I'm happy to support you in another, you know, at another time. But, you know, so in that moment, um, would you have any suggestions about how the the person who wants to draw that boundary can approach that in a way that honors the relationship, but also says, this is not okay? Uh, Yeah, it's, it's a question of, you know, this is work time. You know, hey, I hear that you're really upset. I get that. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like this thing with your daughter is really sort of taking up a lot of mental bandwidth. Um, should we reschedule this meeting at a time when, you know, you can focus more effectively on work? Uh, do you want to go out for a drink tonight? And we'll, you know, do the wine and wine thing uh, this evening. You know, right now, this is my work time, and um, so I, I need to make sure that we focus on work. <laughs> Happy to reschedule if that would make it easier for you. Happy to go out tonight and talk about how I can support you with your daughter's truancy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you know, if it keeps getting pushed, there's a lovely phrase, or a lovely process that I learned from Christopher Voss, um, who's 
an ex-FBI hostage negotiator and currently uh, runs his own negotiation consultancy, has written an amazing book on negotiation. And one of the things that he says, when you're faced with situations where people don't want to hear what you're saying or asking for, to flip it around and get a no answer. And so if, if the person continues to push it, what you can do is say, you know what? Is it unreasonable of me to want to make sure that I work during work time? It's a lot easier for somebody to say no in a stressful situation than to say yes. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about this process is that in saying the no that they really are feeling because they're feeling a lot of negative emotion, mm-hmm. they are actually agreeing with you. Mm-hmm. So, oh, no, of course it's not unreasonable. And the other thing, of course, is that you ask a question that, that if they said, yes, it's unreasonable, it would be pretty unreasonable of them. <laughs> right, right. So you're setting it up. It's so hard to hold the line on things like this. And it's also so necessary because, you know, once you let it slide, then it's a slippery slope and you're going down it faster and faster. Yeah, great. The book I, I know you're referring to is How to Split the Difference. Never split. Did I say how to split? Never. <laughs> yeah, never to split the difference. I'm, I'm into the how to. Negotiating as if your life depended on it. Yes, yeah. never split the difference. Thank you. Yes, I will include a link to that on the episode webpage in case anyone's interested. It's a great book. It really is. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of helpful hints and a lot of really fascinating stories about various negotiations that he's been involved in and what we can learn from them. So especially if you like kind of geeking out to a little FBI stuff in hostage situations, it's really fascinating. So, well, Grace, thank you so much for everything that you've shared and, and giving us some new insights into empathy, whether it's with someone we love or someone that we are working with and sometimes when that's the same person. <laughs> well, how can listeners learn more about you and your work? Well, my website is easy because it's my name, gracejudson.com. I have a blog there. And for subscribers, I have a PDF, a little mini ebook that is um, the five most challenging employee types and how to manage them. Great. So I'm happy to offer that to anybody who, who wants it. And there's a communication, leadership communication quiz over there as well. Um, and I am around. I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all under my name and happy to engage with anyone. I love answering questions and um, talking to people about this stuff because it's, it, it's, speaking of geeking out, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can exactly. geek out on this stuff for days. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that's one reason I wanted to have you on because I knew that you would offer some really valuable um, insights. So thanks for geeking out with us. And oh, um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise entirely. Thanks. Here's my closing call to action for you. Do some reflection on the relationships you have that cross those personal and professional boundaries. Do they feel healthy? And by healthy, I mean, are you able to be both friend and colleague in a way that honors both relationships? It's not as clean as saying, I'm going to put on my work hat here and not be accessible to you as a friend. That wouldn't be reasonable or even desirable. That said, Honoring the work relationship means focusing on the task at hand, respecting the different roles you each have and your expertise, and not allowing personal topics to hijack the agenda. If you recognize that happening in the moment, practice saying something like, 
I want to talk more about that, so maybe we can do it later over coffee. Or, I'm mindful that we only have an hour to work on this project, so let's get together later to talk about what's happening with your family. Unless the other person is falling apart and their situation clearly takes priority over the work, practice redirecting the conversation back to your agenda by acknowledging that you care about the friendship conversation and want to give it its own space where you can give it your full attention. I should point out, sometimes it might be the opposite situation. You want to have a friendship conversation and work topics intrude. You can use the same approach, saying, I just really need to share this problem right now, and my head isn't into work stuff. Can we circle back to that later? Find your own words, but it's the same formula. Name the priority, acknowledge the diversion without judging, and suggest a follow-up conversation. Trust that you can make your request with compassion. It's one way you can keep those boundaries clear and your relationships in balance. Remember that you can find information about how to connect with Grace, as well as links to resources we mentioned in this episode at HowCanIsayThis.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter to receive more communication tips straight to your inbox. If you have a How Can I Say This question to submit for a future episode, you'll find the online submission form at HowCanIsayThis.com. You can also leave a text or voicemail 24-7 at 562 562- Seven zero four six six four three. That is five six two seven zero four six six four three. And no worries if you couldn't write that down. I have the number on the submit a question page on the website. And lastly, you can send me your question directly to Beth at howcanisaythis.com. No matter how you choose to submit a question, you have the choice to be completely anonymous if you like. It would be great to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. I also ask that you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever platform you listen through. Your choice to review and subscribe absolutely makes a difference. First, it tells me that you're out there and what you think of the show. Second, it helps others make the decision about whether or not to listen. I'm grateful to everyone who has rated and reviewed the show here in its early days, and I hope you'll consider joining them. This is Beth Below, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thanks for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.